But if you'd open up your Bibles, Exodus chapter 14, second book of the Bible. I want to read through a, just a kind of a lengthy portion of Scripture here just to get started. And this is one of those, this is one of those things, I'll be honest, where God was leading to me to this this whole week, and I fought him every step of the way. I was like, are you sure? Like this one, everybody knows this. You know, like this is one of those, those texts, but, but it was just on my heart, and God showed me some things. So I want to begin in, in uh, verse 21. I'm just going to read seven verses here. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let us, let's get away from these Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Amen. I'm done preaching. That was good. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those stories that that's absolutely incredible what God has done. And I've called this, this message the middle of the miracle. The middle of the miracle. Now, this, this story, many of you may already know this story. Uh, this is the story of the Israelites. They, they left Egypt, uh, slavery and captivity and hard working conditions and all those things. They were delivered after 10 plagues and finally Pharaoh let them go. So they wander around in the desert wilderness and then they finally get to a point where they get hemmed in and then we see the Red Sea story. Now, I was interested to do this, and I don't, I don't recommend this, but I was interested to do this. I, I put in Google the Red Sea story, okay, just to see what would pop up. Sadly, one of the first things that popped up with the parting of the Red Sea was a Wikipedia article that said that it's a Jewish myth. Now, I believe that this was a, a supernatural miracle, but I will kind of begin, I, I'm going to teach you here a little bit. The Red Sea, as we translate it in Scripture, is actually not translated correctly. It's actually called the Sea of Reeds. The Sea of Reeds. And so we begin to look at this, and to this day, they truly don't know where exactly this occurred. They don't know where on the Red Sea or the Suez Canal, and there's, there's all kinds of theories and hypotheses and things like that. Uh, but evidence of absence is not evidence. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Basically, what I'm saying is, is it just because we haven't found it yet doesn't mean it's not there. Now, there's also been studies done, and this is by Christians. There's been studies done, atmospheric and oceanic tests, to see if they could re, redo, basically, the Red Sea crossing. And so they've done computer animations and things like that, and, and, and they feel like if it was at this one specific spot and the wind was blowing 65 to 70 miles an hour, 
from the direction that it says it was coming from, if it blew for 10 hours straight, then it's very possible that it could have pushed some of the water back enough, like 10 feet, so that they would be able to walk across on dry ground. So there's a, there's a natural explanation for this. Another thing that po- tries to poke holes in this being a miracle is the fact that there's no Egyptian record of this ever happening. Now you're looking at a guy, I just want to tell you from up front, that I believe in an all-powerful God. I believe in an all-powerful God. See, but the problem is if the world can undermine this attribute of God, then the rest of him is just a house of cards. I feel like that's what we try to do. Sadly, even in the church, we try to have all these explanations, right, for, for how God works and, and how he does things. And this was very natural, right? This is, this is how it works. I want to share with you just a couple things as I looked at this. First of all, historical Egyptian writing, the pharaohs never talked about their issues in their writings. <laughs> they never even put down in their writings if they lost a war. They wanted on their epitaph and everything, they wanted all the amazing accomplishments that they have. So we don't see anything in Egyptian historical writing that says that they even had an, an army that got wiped out or anything like that. Because what pharaoh wants to admit to that one, right? That's just how they were. Because they controlled what was written down and how, how it was written. Number two, those tests wouldn't account for a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. That's, that's just not possible that, that, that there was an account where there was water on both sides. Number three is 10 feet of water. Yeah, that's, that's pretty high, but these are 600 of the best chariots and the rest of the chariots in all of Egypt and their biggest army that is coming in here. Ten feet of water coming back down is not enough to wipe out and kill the entire army. But here's the last one. In this one, I I look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God says. And in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul is writing about this. And he writes in verse 6, he said, Now these things occurred as examples. I looked up the word occurred, and it means occurred. It means that it actually happened. That's what it says in the the scripture. But then further down in verse 11, it says, these things happened to them. These things happened to them. And I looked up the word for happened and it so happens. It means happened. It means that this stuff happened. And if the apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament believes that these things actually occurred, we do. We serve a God of supernatural miracles. You're looking at a guy right now that believes that God can do the miraculous here today. I want to give you a definition of the word miracle. It's the effect of a supernatural force on an impossible natural occurrence or circumstance. The miracles of God make us appreciate the mystery of God. If he wasn't all powerful and he couldn't do mysterious things to us, then he really wouldn't be a God worth serving. I looked it up and And Jesus actually, in in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it says that Jesus did 36 miracles. Jesus did 36 miracles, but but the writers go on to say, all of them say that Jesus actually did way more than that. In fact, at the end of the book of John, he says that he did so many miracles and signs and things that if they were written down in all the books and all the world, there wouldn't be enough room to hold it. But then I think to myself, why didn't they write all this down? (laughs) I'd like to know a couple more, wouldn't you, right? I'd like to know if, if there was another miracle that Jesus did, and how did he do that one? And, and how, did that, how does that make sense? And why did he do that? But then I looked up 
Jesus' teaching. There's 47 parables in the four Gospels. And there's even more teachings besides the parables. See, the purpose of miracles is that they had teaching power. So yes, God can heal you today. Yes, God can deliver you today. Yes, God can do something incredible in your life today. But it's always going to bring glory back to Him and teach us of His power. See, we commonly use, and I'm doing a lot of teaching here at the beginning, just so you know who you're looking at and what you're, what you're about to get here. There's three words, Greek words, that are used for miracle in the New Testament. Three Greek words. One is dunamis, which means mighty works, or the power, like the power of God. Tarada, which is wanders, basically the effect, like, oh my goodness, wow, that's incredible. And Samea, which is signs. And that's the purpose for the miracle. But it's interesting to show that in the book of Acts, it goes on in the book of Acts to talk about each of those. But every time it talks about the power or the effect, it always includes the word Samea, which means sign. So there, there's a purpose to all of these things. There's a purpose to the mighty works and the wonders that God does. So if, if we look at this scripture, I know I'm trying not to bore you too early, but I had to like lay that out as a miracle teaching, right? But let's, let's look at this, because God really showed me a bunch of things in this word. I know many of you have read this before. Maybe you learned it in Sunday school. Maybe you've seen it written, or you've seen it online, or something like that. But there's some truth that God wants to, to pull out of this. The first one is this, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea. Here's a common misconception of a miracle that it has to happen in an instant. I think we've gotten stuck to thinking that a miracle has to be that one moment, like all of a sudden, there it is. If it's not like that, then it's not a miracle. This was an all night long thing. God was doing this all night long. See, we want to see immediate results in our lives, right? Immediate deliverance. Like, take me out of that bondage, God. Do it right now. Do it right now. But sometimes great miracles happen over a great length of time. You know the greatest miracle that ever happened took three days? Jesus died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Three days. So right now, if you're thinking like, well, I haven't seen a miracle yet, you know what? You just might be in the middle of the miracle right now. You might be in the middle of a miracle. But then the next part, I do have to read you this verse, 2 Peter 3.8. It says, but... Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. So for us, what we think is an instant, to God it's like a thousand years. But, but to us, what feels like a thousand years, and can I get an amen? Like, I haven't seen my miracle yet. Like, it feels like it's been a thousand years, God. To him, that's an instant. So he can do something in your life right now that is miraculous, and you might just be in the middle of that miracle. But I want to read to you the next part. It said, The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. You know, as I began to read that, I thought to myself, why has he got to put in the direction of the wind? Who cares? Like, that was incredible. You know what I mean? Like, it was incredible that God was, <gasps> and then the whole sea blew back, and, and that's awesome, right? But as I began to think about like an east wind, you know, if it's called an east wind, that means it comes from the east. 
And if you think about it, Egypt is over here, and where they're going is over here. So they're going from west to east. So as they're getting ready to go across the sea, the wind is blowing in this direction. You know what? The wind is blowing in their face. The wind is blowing in their face. Sometimes there's nothing easy about your miracle. How about it? Sometimes you're in the middle of the miracle and it feels like everything's against you and the wind's even in your face. And not every wind that comes against you is an attack of the enemy. You know, I know that we like to raise kids up and, and in the nursery, you know, we teach kids like God is love. He loves you. He cares for you. And we nurture them, right? And then they get to be kids in the kids' church and we tell them that God's with you, you know? And we begin to build on the character of God. But if we're not careful, we can just stay in the place where we only have a couple attributes of God and that's all we hold on to. I love the, the great feel-good verses. You know, God is faithful and, and He all, is all-loving and He does care for us. And, and those are great, but God is also justice. God is also a, a, a God who, who can get upset <laughs> with His children. And, and sometimes we think that, that all these feel-good actions about God is all we've got. Well, what we can do is a disservice sometimes to our young people. And, and the youth can attest to this. I, I don't sugarcoat anything for the youth. <laughs> I tell them how hard life can be sometimes, right? Because they need to know that when they, when they get out on their own, before they leave home, they need to know that not every wind that comes against them means that God's not with them. And I encourage you with your young people to teach them that, to grow them in that way, because what happens is that the youth, they all of a sudden, they get to be these young adults, and then the first time that there's a, there's a wind, there's a doubt, there's something that comes in, and then they go, see, God's not real. See, God's not with me. He doesn't know what he's doing if he is around. And, and I've felt that way, trust me. I've felt that way. But when you stand on the word of God and what, what this story in particular says, that sometimes if there's a wind against you, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes God's actually parting the sea and you're actually in the middle of your miracle when the wind is pushing against you. But I want to read to you uh, another account of this story out of Psalm 77. Psalm 77, verse, starting in verse 16, tells us another account of what was happening in that time. It says, the waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. <laughs> the very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. We don't read that one to the nursery <laughs> just to give you guys some comfort, right? I hope not, right? But we don't read that to the nursery, do you? See, I look up pictures of that and I think about Sunday school and all those things and you see the kids, the whales. And we did this at VBS, so trust me, we've done this. We have the whales and you can see the, the, the sea turtles and stuff. Gray would call that cal calypso. But you'd see all the, all the animals and you'd just see the kids like running and playing in the water, right? And, and then the parents like, like carrying their kids with these big smiles on their face. Thank God he parted the sea, right? And, and so that's like that, that image that we get. That's the totally opposite of what was actually happening. It was, it was dangerous. The, the, the earth was shaking and trembling and, and, and the waves were crashing over top of them. And, and it says that there was lightning piercing through the sky. There was nothing that looked good in this moment. And the wind was in their face. 
And there's an army at their back that is charging in after them. There's nothing pretty about this scenario, yet they were still in the middle of their miracle. They were still in the middle of their miracle. You know, everybody wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in a situation that you need one. Pretty incredible sometimes when I think of the storms that I've been in, and then I look back and I go, see, he was parting the water the whole time. And I think if, if we're not careful, I want to encourage you to, to catch hold of all the attributes of God, of his entire character, of what the entire word says. And that's why it's so important. If you've noticed already, I've gone back and forth and checked the word with the word <laughs> to see what it says about God and what, what was going on in this situation. So I encourage you to do that in your own life and see, really see what God's doing. You know, Facebook is great. You get all these cool one-liner quotes and verses. And many of those quotes, I mean, they're true. They're God's promises. But if we're not careful, we can take them out of context. We can begin to mold and shape God into the image that we want to shape him into. But the next part here. It says, The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. You know, multiple times he talks about this dry ground, right? This was already incredible. The seas are parting, okay? It's wild. Armies, there's a pillar of fire, there's cloud, there's, there's storms. It's, it's, all, it's already awesome, God, okay? Like, you're just showing off now, giving some dry ground, right? But constantly it talks about the dry ground, and I look at the Word and I say, why would that be in there? Why is it telling me about this dry ground? I mean, so what? That there's dry ground. You think they're really concerned about that? When they're just trying to get to the other side, well, I don't care if it's muddy or what. I'm getting over there, right? We got to get out of here. But I want some truth to pierce through today. There was nothing else positive about their situation. Think about it. There was nothing positive about their situation. I think that's why the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, and this is one of those quotable verses. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, see, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. In the situation you're in, in the miracle that you may be in the middle of, there is always dry ground. There's always something positive that God is doing. God is working. God is doing something in your life. There's always dry ground. There's always something worthy of praise. Anything, anything that you can find that's worthy of praise. You just have to see the dry ground that's in front of you. Everything was against them in this moment. Even the wind, the waves, everything was against them. The one positive thing that they had going on was that they had some dry ground in front of them. I want to show you a picture. There was a Swiss uh, scientist in 1804 that found this phenomenon. Uh, that now after his name is called the Troxler's effect. Troxler's effect, okay? Now if you look at this picture, you see there's colors. See there's yellows over here, purples down here. I see kind of some bluish tints. And sorry if you're colorblind, but <laughs> but I want you to take a look at take a look at this. All right? We're going to stare at that cross. See the cross right in the very center? We're going to stare at that cross for 30 seconds. Just really think intently and focus your mind on that cross. As you begin to do that, even now for me, as I'm staring at that cross, 
All the other colors fade out. And all I can see is that cross. How many other people did that happen for? Yeah? Isn't that crazy? That's because there's something in our neural pathways that, that we begin to block out. When we're focused on something like that, we begin to block out all the other things. And can't that happen in our circumstance where you see the, the things that are going wrong in your life and that's all you're looking at, the pain, the suffering, and it's so hard to look somewhere else because all we can see is that. And then all of a sudden, the colors, all the things that God is doing around you begin to fade away. And that can be a problem sometimes. I mean, that's like we sang that song Surrounded earlier. And the reason why they, they talked about that song is because in 2 Kings chapter 6, they had the situation where Elisha, the prophet, and his servant were in the house. And all of a sudden, the, their army comes to take them away. And the, he goes, go ahead and check out what's going on. And the servant comes out and he looks around. He's like, oh, and he goes back inside. He says, Elisha, there's a whole army out there. Elisha says, no, no, it's good. He goes, uh, look out the window. Yeah, there's an army out there. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, come see. He said, no, no, it, you know, you're good. We're, we're good. We're good. It's okay. He's like, seriously, Elisha, look outside. Look out, look out the window. They're everywhere. There's a whole army. It says that they were basically taking over the town and they were coming for Elisha. And Elisha prays this prayer. He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Once he prayed that prayer, that servant goes outside and looks, and surrounding the army are massive chariots of fire, angelic beings all around surrounding that army. That's why we sang, if it, if it looks like you're surrounded, no, I'm surrounded by you. And so sometimes we get stuck focused on that one circumstance, focused on that one issue that we're dealing with in our life, and then we can't see anything else. Everything else becomes dull. Everything else becomes dim. But honestly, it, it works both ways. Because Peter walked on water, right? Peter walked on water. What he did was, Jesus, in the middle of a storm, comes walking out on the water. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, if that's actually you out there, tell me to come too. And Jesus says, okay, go ahead and come. And so what does Peter do? For a moment. He steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on water and he's looking at Jesus. I mean, could you imagine? The disciples go, look at that. That's so awesome. Look at that. He's doing it. And Peter's like walking towards him, right? But then all of a sudden what happens? He begins to feel the waves. He begins to see the wind. He takes his eyes off of the cross, off of the word, off of the promise, off of all the amazing things that God is doing. In that moment, he takes his eyes off of it and looks everywhere else and begins to sink. He begins to sink and Jesus goes, in the, he goes, Lord, Lord, save me. And he reaches down and he pulls him right up. It's an incredible story, but it's a perfect example of the fact that we can, we can be focusing on something that is good in our life, that is true, that is noble, that is righteous, that is worthy of praise. You've got dry, you've got dry ground somewhere in your circumstance. Every one of us have problems, right? But you have the opportunity for a miracle then. You have the opportunity for a miracle. And I just think it's awesome that, that they're, they're going through this Red Sea situation, and, and that's great, but, but really, are there really that many good things? Here's two practical things you can do this week. Two practical things you can do. The first one is this. Celebrate what God is doing in your life. Three things each day. I'm giving you some homework. Three things each day from here until next Sunday. 
Every single morning when you wake up, write down three things that God is doing in your life. You know what's going to happen? Next Sunday, you're going to come in here. You're going to have 21 things that you can praise God for. But you need to write it down. You need to recognize. You need to focus on it. You need to see it. You need to begin to see the things that God is doing in your life instead of so concerned about the pain and the suffering and all the bad things that are going on. But the second thing, now this is really spiritual, all right? So catch hold of this. Put down your phone. I'm going to say that again. Put down your phone. Sorry, Facebook. (laughs) But put down your phone. I saw an image, and many of you have shared this and seen this as well, but where they were taking pictures of people and they cropped out the phone in the picture. And it's sad. You see a picture of a mother who's standing there like this and her kids are trying to get her attention and, and she's too busy looking down at her hand. You see these two guys at a cookout like hanging out, one's by the grill, but one's facing this way looking at his phone and the other one's over here looking at his phone. Probably checking football stats or something else that's going on. Then, one of the saddest ones is there's a married couple laying in bed. But one is laying this way looking at their hand and the other one is laying this way looking at their hand. Sad, isn't it? That we can be missing the things that God has right in front of us. I have my wife who can lay next to me. She's been dealing with breast cancer and now I can stare her in the face and look her in the eye. I can still touch her. She's still right next to me. God is faithful. But sometimes we need to put down our phone long enough to recognize what God is doing all around us. It's the, it's the perfect, you know, it's the cross that's there in the middle of that picture. We're just looking at this. We're missing everything that's all around us. Missing it all. One other thing that me and my wife did, which you're going to think we're archaic and crazy, but we don't have cable. And with that, we don't have the news. <laughs> we don't have the news. And, and so... How about it, honey? We've talked about it over and over again. We're like, that's one of the best things we've ever done. You know, I I get my information. I find out what's going on in the world. You know what? We did 60 years ago too, right? We know what's happening in the world. It's okay to put down your phone for a couple minutes. We don't need to be on top of that because you know what was happening? Negative news sells. And so I was constantly seeing the negative things in the world. I was seeing all the issues, all the people I was frustrated with, all the things that I don't like about the world. And then I'd get this resentment and this anger and this frustration that would be building up inside of me. And, and you go like, what, what is wrong with you? I don't know. I just, but I'm watching negative things constantly over and over and over again. And then they'll pop in a good thing, but then it's negative things over and over. Sometimes you just need to put down your phone. The world's still going to spin without you. I'm sorry to say, but it's still going to work. Everything's still going to be happening all around us. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. It's important to be informed, but not at the expense of your joy. It's important to be informed, but not at the expense of your joy. God wants to do something in your life. but Sometimes you're not looking at it. You know what I notice that we do all the time when you get in the car? Where are we going? Uh. Well, this says we're going this way, <laughs> right? Where's Texas Roadhouse, right, honey? Where's Texas Roadhouse? Well, it says the fastest route's down this direction, right? We start to use this as our GPS, our directional 
guide for everything, right? And so we begin to, to look at our phones and it tells us the shortest route, right? And what do you do? Click the shortest route. Unless there's tolls, of course. But, but you, you click the shortest route. You know what they did in, before they got to the Red Sea? They come out of Egypt and, they, and the Israelites come out and it's very well known that there's a way out of here. It's through Philistine country. That's the shortest way. That's where we go. So the Israelites start going this way, you know, following follow their phone. Like, no, this is the way we're supposed to go. This is the shortest route. Moses is like, no, God's taking us this way. He said, no, no, no. Moses, this is the shortest route. That's what it says. He said, no. No, God's telling us to go this way. All right. So they go down this way and, and they get down. And, and then all of a sudden they get to a point and Moses says, okay, God's saying to, for us to, to turn left and turn back. No, Moses, all right. You, you don't understand. Like that was, you missed the fastest way, first of all. How many people have missed their exit, right? You, you missed the fastest way. That was the shortest way to get out of here. Now, now we're coming down here. Now he's telling us to turn back. What are you doing? He said, God's telling us to go this direction. You know what, Chris? This tells me to go left. Yeah, but God said to go right. Chris, that, that says it's right by the sea. We're going to get hemmed in there. Yeah, but God said it, and that settles it. God's, God's saying, this is the direction I'm supposed to go. But sometimes we're too busy looking at these other things, worrying about the rest of the world and what everybody else says and following everybody else's direction. I follow the Word of God. I follow the Spirit that God has put inside of me. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Actually, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. <laughs> me preaching this Word to you didn't make sense to me early. This week, right? God, no, that's not the one, right? But he leads us in, in directions that, that are countercultural sometimes. To celebrate what God is doing in your life and put down your phone. It's okay to do that for a little bit. Put down your phone. Or like, I, or listen to your son, right? <laughs> it says to go left. Dad, it says to go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Dad, Dad, I have a great idea. What's that, son? We should go to Chuck E. Cheese. Sorry, bud. Not where it's taking us today, right? Maybe I'm missing. Maybe God's been trying to speak to me, right? Maybe there's somebody at Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know. That, that outfit looks good, but maybe he needs saved. Um, but, but we have those, those issues. I love this. Oswald Chambers said this. He says, sometimes it looks like God is missing the mark. Because we're too short-sighted to see what he's aiming for. I don't know if you do this. I, I'll raise my hand and be the first one. But a lot of times I seem to pray for the process that I think God needs to use to get me to the thing that I need. Instead of just praying for the thing that I need, I, I begin to pray like, Lord, make this fall into place so that that can happen and then that can happen. And then my prayers will be answered, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and say amen because I know that's true for you too. Sometimes we've been, we're, we're not even just asking. God's been standing there going, just ask me for what you need already. Stop talking about all these other things. Just get to the point, Chris. You know, we pray all these prayers like, if this lines up, God, then this can happen. And then if you would do this, then that will happen. And, and that's the problem is sometimes we're, we're looking in one direction and God's like, I've had footsteps through the sea this whole time. Would you just ask me? Would you just ask me? I'm ready to show you the way. Ready to show you the way. But if we move on, it says, now this is where it gets good. The Egyptians pursued them 
And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Listen to this. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. See, it's in the middle of the miracle that the enemy is stripped of his power. These were the best chariots. This was the best that, that Egypt had. This was the best that mankind had. And it gets wiped away in one instance. I want to I show you an illustration. Dalton, come on up here. Morgan, come on up. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Dalton, I want you to stand here. All right, you're going to stand here and face this direction for me. Right? Job? All right, Morgan, go ahead and ha stand right here facing this direction. I'm going to give you guys an illustration here. Morgan is the Israelite army. Morgan, or, I'm sorry, Morgan is the Egyptian army. Dan, okay, don't show us. But she's the Egyptian army, or the Egyptian army. Here's the Israelites, right? We're working from west to east. And so the Israelites are running through, trying to get through the sea before it, it gets, it, it all falls back down. And, and this is scary. And they're just looking at the dry ground and everything. And the Egyptians, they begin to work their way into the sea and, and go after them. But I want to tell you something that was happening. Come back here a second. Before this circumstance happened, there was a pillar of fire. And there was a pillar of cloud, and it was always in front of them. It was always right here leading the way. It led them through the desert way all the way up, and then led them right to the edge of the sea. But something different happened once they got to the sea. It says that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud moved between them. It moved between them. What's incredible about this picture, and as they move down into the Sea of Reeds, as they move down into there, it says that God looked down at the Egyptian army. Gave them a stare down, right? And that's all it took to confuse the enemy. You know, later in, in uh, chapter 15, it talks about that the God blew the waters open through his nostrils. I looked that up and it says through his nostrils. I mean, God didn't even have to go, <gasps> right? All he had to go and blow with his nostrils. And then it blew, and hopefully I didn't shoot a booger on you, Kyle, but no, it just, you know, it blew open the sea, right? And then all God had to do was stand there like this and look down and everything came apart. It says that the, the chariots, they, the wheels got jammed and some translations say they, they fell apart, but, but all of a sudden everything starts falling apart. But I, this is something that God showed me for somebody specifically. See, up until now, you've been feeling God in front of you, like showing you the way and giving you the direction, and then all of a sudden, you just don't feel close to Him. All of a sudden, you just don't feel like you've got that intimacy. You're trying to look for the dry ground that's in front of you. You're trying to see something positive in your situation. And here, you don't even know, but... God is taking care of your past so that you can focus on your future. 
I think sometimes we get stuck in the point that we need God to like all of a sudden come down in a pillar of fire and cloud and show us the way. And he's like, no, I've got dry ground in front of you. It's there. I put it there. I'm dealing with your past. And he doesn't need to deal very hard, does he? All he needs to do is look at it. And somebody here today has been feeling like God isn't there. Like he doesn't care about your situation. And little do you know, you're just in the middle of your miracle. And then God is busy taking care of the bondage, issues, the addiction, the slavery, the captivity that you've been dealing with. And here, the Israelite army doesn't even realize that God is standing behind them, taking care of all of it. Thank you. Can you guys give them a hand? You think that God has forsaken you. But he's taking care of your past so that you can move forward into your future. I need to tell somebody right now, don't turn back now. Don't go back to Egypt. I've had, um, I've had people ask me a lot of times, do you miss your old life? All the partying and so much freedom, wasn't there, Chris? You know, you got a chance to just go out drinking and go carry on till 4 a.m. and go crazy. Wasn't it better back there? Like, at least back there, I had food, right? At least back there, I didn't have the wind in my face, right? No, back there, I was a slave. Back there, I was in Egypt. Back there, I was in captivity. I was in bondage. This can't even describe to you. I mean, somebody asked me that question. I said, no. I don't miss the time where I was in a bathtub thinking I was dying from an overdose. Afraid to call 911 because I didn't want to be put in jail. I don't miss that. I don't miss the time that I slammed my car at 60 miles an hour into a barn and hit a propane tank and lit my car on fire all because I was partying and drinking and doing drugs. No, I don't miss that one bit. I don't miss the feeling of captivity that I had and the slavery and the bondage and the addiction that was inside of me. And I'll tell you what, when I got saved, and I preached about this to youth, I, I thought that, I, you know, it says the old has gone, the new has come. And I kept saying in the mirror, but I don't see the new. I don't see the new. I'm still dealing with some of these same issues I've been dealing with for so long. It just feels like my, my addiction and my bondage and my issue just keeps following after me. I don't miss that. I don't miss it one bit. Sometimes there was a wind that was in my face. Sometimes the, the, the thunder was clapping and the, the lightning was piercing through the sky and and I felt like God wasn't close to me. Why don't I feel near to you? Because he's trying to take care of my past so I could focus on what he's doing in my future. And I believe some people, i got to encourage somebody, don't turn back now. Don't turn back now. You're in the middle of your miracle. Something incredible. Today, I believe it's today. I told you I'm a guy who believes in supernatural miracles. I believe that God can do what he says he's going to do. And you've been in the middle of this miracle for way too long. 
You've been dealing with the same things you've been dealing with over and over again. Yes, you got out of Egypt, but Egypt has still been chasing you. But I want to read to you the last part. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Not one of them survived. I believe that today he wants to just totally destroy your path and leave no survivors. Today. I'm not going to wait another minute. He wants to do something incredible in your life. He's been doing something incredible in your life if you've seen the dry ground. I believe that this moment is going to be daybreak for somebody. That God is going to remove the issues of your past. He's just going to look at it and it has to go away. 